Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Why am I doing this? What am I trying to accomplish? Specifically, I'd recommend the advice of doing that exercise of writing down, how would you spend your time if you waved your magic wand and had $300,000 a year coming in from your rental properties right now? What would you spend your time doing? What would it be? Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Chad Carson. Chad is joining us from Clemson, South Carolina. He is the owner of Coach Carson, where he teaches others how to retire early through real estate investing. Chad's portfolio consists of 99 units over 37 properties. They are a mix of small multifamily, usually two to 14 units, and single units in a college town. Chad, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing great, Ash. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Hey, it's our pleasure. Chad is a repeat guest. He was on episode number 1,474. The title was Build Wealth and Live Off of Your Wealth. So if you Google Joe Fairless and Chad Carson, that episode will pop up. So Chad, please, a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now. Sure. So I live in Clemson, South Carolina, a small college town. And actually, when I graduated from Clemson, I was a football player there. I decided to become an entrepreneur 21 years ago. And I started just flipping houses, wholesaling houses, just trying to make some money. But long term, I started buying with a business partner, long term rental properties. So these little mixed use, not small multifamily properties. My first was a fourplex. I lived in one unit, house hacked it, rented the others out, and it just worked pretty well. And I understood the market. I understood Clemson. I understood where you wanted to be in town, being close to the bus line or close to walking to downtown campus. And it just became a niche that we really liked and did more of. So over time, we built up a portfolio and got kind of out of the flipping business and mainly just buy and hold rental properties. And that's been the overarching story. But kind of behind that has been also investing for lifestyle. I invested through the Great Recession and saw the risk of that and the stress of that. And a big part of my aha moment with my business partner and I was growing at a pace that makes sense to accomplish your goals, to have the money you need, but then more just than money, try to free up a lot of time and flexibility. So we've been trying to build a portfolio that today I spend two hours per week on average managing the manager, doing some bookkeeping. 
So I have a lot of time for traveling, lived with my family in Spain for a year last year, two young kids. I wrote a book. I volunteer a lot of my community trying to build walking and biking trails. So a lot of stuff there. But I guess kind of the main point is I invest in real estate for being able to do other things that matter that really are important to me. Chad, you never left college. Yeah, I'm still here. That is awesome. <laughs> okay. I get that you invested through 2008. You saw rough times and that's great. But the last 12, 15 years, we've had such a run and it's always been go bigger, go faster. How did you have the discipline to not jump into that rat race and just stop buying 16 unit properties, get some partners, syndicate, buy 300 unit complex? Yeah, we did grow, but I think the difference was it's more like the tortoise and the hare metaphor where the tortoise is just plodding along, doing its thing. It's still going on the race. And for me, I saw it as sort of seasons. There's a season in your life to grow, like you're climbing a mountain, get to the next plateau, but then just take a break at that plateau. That's been the theme for me. I would take many retirements. I would travel. So that sort of forced me to slow down a little bit. It's like, all right, I'm gone in Ecuador for 17 months, or I'm gone in Spain for 12 months. I'm literally doing something else. So let's just put the business on pause for a little bit. And so then I would come back and grow again. So it's been kind of a, a balance of those two. And for me, we worked it backwards. We said, all right, number one, I want to have time to play pickup basketball. I want to travel. I want to be with my kids now that have kids. Those are the non-negotiables. And then I asked myself, what kind of business model would help me have enough money, but have enough time and flexibility to do those things? And when I looked at syndicating and growing and building all that, those are great. I'm glad those exist for people, but it wasn't my game. The scaling of that would require me to have even more time and more effort and more people to manage and more stress and more debt. And for me, I had enough. So the transition, instead of going into that, was let's save any extra cash flow we have and start paying off some of our debt. So we've taken our debt on our portfolio from about 70% loan to value early on to 15, 20% now. So we're not completely debt free, but we have a much more mature, stable portfolio that it increased our cash flow, it decreased our risk. And not something everybody does in real estate, but it was a move that we chose to make instead of investing that into more properties and more business. You teach others how to retire early through real estate investing. Now, again, I'm going to push back on you. When people think about retiring early, they want to maximize the amount of money that they have and how quickly they grow it. But you're not that guy. You conservatively grow at a steady pace, right? So yeah. explain that to me. Again, it's a balance. There's a season of your life to hustle and to go in. And I think about like a load up phase. When you're early in your career, especially the first deal, you're just trying to learn. So you just got to get in the game, do a few deals. And then once you move into this from the starter phase and this wealth building phase, growth is the name of the game. You have to take the $100,000 nest egg you have and turn it into a $2 million nest egg. So you, you do have a load up phase. I think the place where I diverge a little bit is saying that at some point you play a different game. I call it the harvesting phase. And for me, it's like you're playing poker. Every once in a while, you've got this wealth that you've built. Every once in a while, take some of that wealth off the table. Take some chips off the table, de-risk, increase your income. So when I'm showing other people how to build a portfolio, the first part of the journey is very similar. You got to grow, you got to leverage, you got to use the tools you have. It's kind of where that diverges is when maybe it's 10 years in, maybe it's seven years in, maybe it's 15 years into your journey. You've got a million dollars, you got $2 million. What now? Do you keep growing or do you take this path that is also considering risk and also considering income and trying to balance that with just grow, 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 grow? 
I see that risk growth pendulum is the main thing to pay attention to. And early in your career, you got to go all in on growth because if you don't take any risk, you're never going to get off the ground in the first place. Did you have a pivotal moment or an epiphany that changed and you decided, okay, I'm going to focus more on quality of life versus making as much money as I can? Yeah, it was in 2007. We had just acquired 33 properties that year. Many of those are multifamily properties. And on paper, it's like, oh, good, congratulations. <laughs> you just did a bunch. But then we saw the storm clouds on the horizon and we're like, oh, man, this is going to be interesting. We were flipping houses. We were buying rentals. But more than anything, my business partner was probably wiser than I was. Thank God for him. But we set out and said, what do we actually want to do on a day-to-day -day basis? What does this look like, this successful real estate business? And that's when I started writing down things like, I want to play pickup basketball for two hours in the middle of the day. I want to travel. I want to do these other things. I was just kind of blown away by that because the money was part of that. I needed money to travel, but it was probably the most limiting factor. The more important factor was I have no time right now. I'm working 80 hours per week. I'm really hustling, which is natural when you're growing, right? So the aha moment was we're taking a lot of risk right now where we're super busy and I'm not even doing what I wanted to do in the first place with real estate. Let's shift this around a little bit. And it didn't happen overnight. We had to survive 2008, nine and 10, first of all, but then the shift was selling off some of the properties that we'd kind of made mistakes on. It was being more deliberate about our pace of growth. It was eventually paying off some debt. It was having big cash reserves. So some of those just non-sexy kind of conservative investing type things to do, but they resulted in first stability, but then more flexibility and more time. And I had to build systems and teams as well, just the same thing anybody else does when they're scaling. But the end result of that was having a ton of time and a lot of free flexibility to be able to do other stuff. What is your typical coaching client? Is it a real estate person? I'm assuming it's somebody non-real estate and older. Yeah. The typical is they're buying small properties. That's first and foremost. This is your mom and pop. They want to buy multifamily, but they're not necessarily trying to go for the 500 unit building or the 200 unit building. They're probably not starting a fund and syndicating. They are using debt to start. They're using some of their own equity. Maybe they're using some private lenders. So it's kind of the small scale multifamily investor is very typical. Although some of them buy just single family houses, depending on where they are. The common thread there though, is that they're often doing this part-time. They're working a full-time job, buying it on the side. Maybe they transition to a full-time eventually, but they're kind of in this grind of, I don't like my current nine to five situation, or I want to have more options and more flexibility. So real estate is just the vehicle. There's people who get into being real estate, their full-time entrepreneurship venture, which is great. I've done that as well. But most of the people I'm working with are like, I want to do this to get me to point B, which is having a ton of time and income and flexibility. How do I do that in a way that is efficient, is low risk? And that's sort of where I start. And what's your typical answer to that question? It's the tortoise mentality. What you buy depends on the market you're in, of course. There's a lot of variables there. But I had a mentor named John Schaub who wrote a book, Building Wealth One House at a Time. His mentality was always just buy a house per year, just one house per year consistently. That's the tortoise mentality. Again, I shifted a little bit from that. I think buy five houses in year one and then take a break for a year, then buy 10 houses in year three or four and then take a break. I like the seasonality of that. But the takeaway for that is you don't have to set the world on fire. I like pushing back a little bit on the success is scaling really fast and getting really big. In fact, I think sometimes you learn more when you go slowly and deliberate because you do that first deal, you take a deep breath, you learn, oh, wow, I messed that up on my analysis. I forgot 
I put 5% for CapEx when maybe it was 7.5% in this market, or maybe I should have hired a different property manager. Well, when you take a more deliberate pace, those mistakes don't compound really, really fast. That's where I've seen some of my friends and colleagues who went out of business in 2007, 8, and 9. They were super successful. They're probably smarter than I was, but they were much more aggressive and their mistakes cost them. The things they did became magnified by the same leverage that was the powerful thing that got them to where they wanted. The, the mistakes were also leveraged and they made a big difference. I like Warren Buffett. He's kind of a hero in the financial world and he's built his wealth because he's been investing for 60 years. He's been compounding, 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 compounding. And yes, they use leverage and he had to grow pretty aggressively at times, but it's just been the consistency and the discipline of his approach that's made him the most money. I'm glad you like to push back. So do I. Now, am I hearing this correctly? You educate people to purchase single family homes as part of their retirement plan? Absolutely. Yes. Well, who wants to be a single family landlord when they're trying to wind down? What are we comparing it to? If we're going to buy real estate, you got your options. Single family, small multifamily, large multifamily, being a passive syndication investor, all of them have pluses and minuses, right? But if you're going to invest directly in real estate as opposed to the stock market, I have never personally found a more easy, passive rental management investment than a single family house to this day. I have college rentals. I've got mobile home parks. I've got single family houses. I have single family tenants who stay 10 years sometimes. The amount of calls I get, the amount of hassle I have from those tenants in those single family houses is minuscule compared to the turnover on a multifamily property, for example, or, or some of my mobile home park stuff. So I think the plus of the single family house is just the simplicity of it, easy to understand, typically pretty standard conventional neighborhoods, and the ease of management. The negative is, those things don't cash flow for a while. You're buying it at the equivalent of a three cap, a five cap or something like that. And you have really expensive debt in the first place. So they really shine over time. When the rents go up, when you pay the property off, I look at it like a dividend stock. It's just a solid dividend stock that goes up in value over time. And single family houses are not setting the world on fire. They're not sexy, but they sure are consistent and steady. And I also like from a portfolio standpoint, if I have 10 single family houses, I can prune that portfolio. I can sell off one or two. Whereas if I had that same amount of equity in one big multifamily property, that's like having the Titanic and trying to steer the Titanic away from an iceberg. Whereas I'm much more flexible. I'm like a bunch of little boats with all my little properties and I can sell this one off and reposition this piece. So I think that's an advantage of having a bunch of small chess pieces on the board. Chad, you coach people, I'm assuming all over the country? Sure. All over the US. That's right. Are you not afraid that if you coach somebody in Memphis, Tennessee, you're going to get blown up with phone calls about, I can't find a tenant. This tenant did this. The HVAC system went out. I'm scared for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any educator, I have a lot of videos on YouTube, for example, you give information and it's about one particular topic and then they have to go apply it. And there's a whole lot of information they have to have to be successful with that. So for me, it's like, let's start with the fundamentals of a market. Let's start with the fundamentals of, do you invest in a place that has long-term job growth? Do you have to invest in a place that has long-term population growth? Those are the fundamentals, whatever type of investment real estate you're in. And then from there, the fundamentals are, what neighborhood within that city do you invest in? I don't know Memphis very well, but within Memphis, if somebody's just getting started, let's start with the low-risk avenue. Let's start with some C+, plus, B-, minus, B+, plus type properties. It might not be the best numbers you've ever seen, but man, it's going to be pretty steady. It's going to be easy to manage. So if people were to dig into the advice I give, 
it's the boring kind of conservative advice. I'm almost like a basketball coach. Like, all right, we're going to win in basketball. You got to learn to dribble. You got to learn to pass. You got to be in good condition. Those might sound like boring things, but that's what makes real estate work. There's nothing new about that. The new thing is how do you apply that to a particular market? How do you apply that to a certain economy? How do you apply that when interest rates are 8% on 30-year investor mortgages? Those things change, but the fundamentals of how you make money are pretty consistent. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. All right, this is a commercial real estate podcast. So my next argument to you is why convince them to buy a single family home versus a duplex or a quad, one roof, four units? Oh, I wouldn't try to talk about a a duplex, a quad. I love multifamily. I buy both. I think to me, the idea would be a mix, like a diversified portfolio. I have some larger multifamily, larger for me. We bought a property that had 28 units of one parcel. And then we bought the 12 unit across the street. And then we bought the six unit next to that. So we have like a little monopoly going on in one little area. I like that. I think there's a benefit to those larger multifamily, the cash flow, the large growth that can happen, the value add potential. I also think there's some benefits of that stability that I talked about with a single family house. And so I own both of those. I think that's a more diversified approach. It also makes sense to diversify geography a little bit. Don't be all in one city, one town. One of my weaknesses is that Clemson University were to go out of business. I don't think it's going to, but college and universities 30 years from now, who knows what's going to happen. So for all those reasons, the small investor is more exposed to that kind of thing. So being more broad and diversified is like a plus there. But where my heart is, is the small and mighty investor, the person who's buying that small multifamily property, this is their retirement. They're not doing this for other people. They're doing this for themselves. And instead of diversifying, having a bunch of eggs in a bunch of different baskets, they're like, let's just get a couple baskets, watch those really closely, understand them really well, have something that makes sense to me. So for them, three or four small multifamily properties might be all they need to get them the income they need to live the rest of their life. Have you created any monsters that caught the real estate bug and have just become wildly successful and have a huge portfolio? Oh yeah. There's been some, and I'm happy with that. Do your own thing. I don't think being ideological about any approach is the right approach. I listen to this show because there's so many gems to be learned from different perspectives and different approaches. And just everybody has to find the niche, find their lane that makes sense. So I've had some people who take the lessons and then roll with it and scale and they own many, many more units than I do. And that's great. And I think the perspective is just understanding why you're doing this in the first place. So to me, some of the syndicators and the big entrepreneurs I really respect, they love the game. They're just a craftsperson. They love the X's and O's. They love the people. They love the scaling. So if that's why you're in it, because you love it, perfect. That's great. I push back a little bit if saying you have to get big because that's how you have financial freedom. 
No. You can own 10 properties and have financial freedom. It just depends on what your personal approach to this business is, and then we can all learn from each other in between. I would imagine you do a lot of mindset coaching, and an example is people focused on wealth versus lifestyle. I'm sure you see this all around you. Everybody's trying to level up. Do you do a lot of coaching on, okay, what is it that you really want to do with your time? How do you want to spend time with your family? What does retirement look like? Yeah, it's, it's more of a lifestyle coaching in a way. And some of that, the people who are more successful, that's more the coaching they need. When the people are first starting, it's just like overwhelm. How do I get in the game? Talked to a few people recently, for example, who they were very successful in their career. They sold a company. They got a few million bucks. They've been on the treadmill and they like it. They kind of get addicted to the grind. I've been there too. And now it's like, does that fulfill me? Am I satisfied with that? It's almost like an identity crisis that happens, many of us. And again, I'm pointing my finger at myself too. What am I all about? I identify myself as an entrepreneur, as a real estate investor. And if I don't do that, if I get off the treadmill, what then? What do I contribute? So for me, this is a work in progress, but it's asking yourself the question, almost like you're 17 years old again, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And for me, it's I've started dabbling in ideas like, what do I want to contribute? What skills do I have? that other people can use and that are helpful to them because helping people and serving people, man, isn't that fulfilling? That makes you feel good at night. You can sleep at night. It's not always easy. So for me, teaching is a fulfilling path. If I try to be like Warren Buffett and help other people become wealthy through my own investing skills, that's pretty cool too. Think how many people Berkshire Hathaway has made extremely wealthy. That's one path. For me, I get more fulfillment out of being a teacher and helping people and making YouTube videos and writing a book. So I think that's the coaching I would give people is forget the money part. Let's figure out who you want to be when you grow up. Maybe you want to go teach and coach high school football. Maybe you want to start a nonprofit or maybe you just want to be home with your kids for the next three years and that's cool. And then you're going to do a career later on. All of those are okay. But I think the identity of I'm valuable because I am in this position that makes a lot of money is pretty hard to get that wiring out of your head a little bit. And it's a work in progress. Chad, the majority of your holdings are around Clemson. College Town, are they student rentals or faculty rentals? They're kind of a particular niche of student rentals, although I do have some faculty members as well. My house were faculty members, particularly in my town. There's just a little quirk that single family houses, you can't rent to three or four students in a house, maximum two who are unrelated. So you tend to get either only two students or just a faculty member or a family. But my niche is grad students or upper level college students who are paying their own way. They're not trying to buy the rent, the luxury apartment, They're more frugal. They're in and out to party. They're just here just to go to school. They want to be on the bus line. So I buy the older single unit, like a one bedroom studio, maybe a two bedroom apartment, but it's a very particular tenant that I like to look for. They like to walk. They like to ride their bike. They are kind of a no frills, no amenities type apartment. They're looking for more value in their apartment. So yes, student rentals, but even within the student rental niche, there's a lot of buildings going up in town, like the clubhouse and the amenities and the glitz and the glamour and all that stuff to try to get the top rents. I'm going for a third of the rent. So if the per bedroom rent in Clemson for a new construction might be like 1200 per bedroom or 1100 per bedroom, I'm more like $800 for two bedrooms, $400 per bedroom, or maybe five, $600 for a one bedroom. So I'm half to 40% of the top rent in my town. Why do they limit two students per house? It's a lot more fun. You throw a lot better parties than that <laughs> six or seven people. That's why they did it. 
This is kind of a NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. It's the single family, a local residents basically petitioned city council to say, we don't like that there's students renting our houses. We need to have neighborhoods that don't have students in them. So that that's a, that's a battle. That is what it is, but it makes some of your other apartments more valuable. It's kind of like a bifurcated market. You got the housing market, you got the apartment market, two different things. Chad, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think I would say sort of the line we've talked about today is that start with why you're doing this in the first place. Before you start building a business model, before you start studying other people, there's so many people you can model out there. Myself, other people, there's tons of them and all of them have value in some way, but are they relevant to you and your journey or not? And that only starts with like asking, why am I doing this? What am I trying to accomplish? Specifically, I'd recommend the advice of doing that exercise of writing down, how would you spend your time? If you waved your magic wand and had $300,000 a year coming in from your rental properties right now, what would you spend your time doing? What would it be? It was educational for me. It was very helpful for me. And it dictated what my business model looked like going forward. And I think that starting point is not a business question, but it's a life question that'll inform your business in a lot of ways. Yeah. What an enlightening conversation, because I think 99 out of 100 people, if you ask that question to, they're going to say because they want financial freedom, but they never define what that means or what they're going to do with it. So once you start building wealth, it just becomes a never ending goal that you're chasing, right? You kick the goalposts continuously. It's okay. As soon as I hit this number, I'm financially free. I can do whatever I want. And then that number continues to rise and it's a crazy rat race. It is. Yeah. Those goalposts move. It's not yeah. like the real football. They get legs and they start moving down the road. And again, everything I say, advice pointing back at myself, it's a struggle. It's a journey We're we all are human beings with psychology. It's a tough nut to crack, but I think the aspiration is to find enough self-knowledge, self-awareness to find the place that's called enough. When you know you have enough. And that doesn't mean you stop growing. That doesn't mean you stop being a wealth builder. That just means you make some different decisions along the way. That's been one of the most helpful decisions I've ever made is to try to have that aspiration. And it's been the most enriching life decision. So that's why I encourage people to think about it. Chad, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read? It's actually not a real estate book, but there's one called Strong Towns. So by getting into real estate, I got really interested in why towns were designed the way they were, what the local economics were, the finances of the local government. And Strong Towns is a movement to make communities better. And I've been volunteering a lot of my community. It teaches you about the finances of a community, which communities to avoid because they're going to raise taxes on you because they can't afford to build their roads. But also what makes a good community a good place to live, walkability, downtowns, things like that. So I think anybody who's in real estate who's interested in cities where your houses and apartments are would benefit from reading the book. Chad, what's the best ever way you like to give back? For me, it's related to strong towns, actually. Back in 2014, I was pushing my little three-year-old at the time, who's now 12 years old, in a stroller, trying to get to the park a quarter mile away from my house. And I was really frustrated that there's no sidewalks, that it was really difficult to get around. And I'm thinking, I'm in a seven-square-foot-mile college town. How come we can't walk and bike in our town? And I started going to local community meetings, asking the same question. They're like, well, nobody's really working on it. And I was just frustrated as an entrepreneur who tries to solve problems. So I started with a group of friends at nonprofit called the Friends of the Green Crescent Trail, where we were trying to build a 30 plus mile network of walking and biking trails throughout our community. And it has multiple purposes, but I think it'll help with public health, people getting out and walking, 
think it'll help with mental health, getting out of their house. We know that from COVID, just people had to get out of their house, but also this the social fabric of a community, I find. Cars are great. I'm not bashing cars here, but when you get out of your car, you walk, that's when you meet people. That's when you see a human face to face. And I just think there's a magical thing when you have public spaces that people can connect in. So that's what I'm trying to build in our town of Clemson, South Carolina. Chad, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? I have a couple main ways. I wrote a book called The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor. So if you just want an encapsulation of what my philosophy and strategy of real estate investing is, that's a book that you can get on Amazon, on Audible, those kind of places. And if you want to listen to a podcast, I had a Coach Carson real estate investing podcast, and you can check me out there. It's on YouTube, it's on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. So we'd love to connect with people there. Chad, again, this has been an enlightening conversation. It resonates with me a lot because I've had these conversations recently with my wife and we're both workaholics. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.